0: How many of you are ready to get into the Word of God this morning? How many of you love the Word of God? Man, I'm so grateful for the Word of God. It sustains me. It gives me life. It changed my life. And and so uh, we're going to pick up where I left off last week. Uh, But before I do that, I want to make sure that I take a moment to welcome our church in Eureka. Hope Church family, would you do me a favor? Would you put your hands together and give a big, rowdy, raucous welcome to our church in Eureka? Pastor Jeremy and crew, we love you guys, believe in you, love what God is doing up there in Eureka. God is moving in the Tobacco Valley, and we're just so grateful that God, four years ago, put on our hearts to start a Hope Church there, so grateful for that. Also, just want to welcome all of you who are joining us online. Uh, We welcome you, so glad that you could join us, and even though you're not here physically, that you could join us through technology, so grateful for that, too. We've been in this message series, God in Culture, and... Really, today is the last installment, I promise. I know I told you that two weeks ago, but uh, I had to break that promise to you. But today is the last day. And I couldn't think of a better way to end it than what God has put in my heart to share with you today. I want to start by sharing with you the scripture where we left off in last week out of 1 Corinthians. Uh, If you guys can put that up on the screen. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul now is speaking into the Corinthian culture. Now you think culture in America is quickly moving away from God and is uh, becoming more and more godless, pagan, if you will. Uh, But the Corinthian culture that Paul was speaking into, keep in mind when Paul was writing some of these letters, he was writing them to the church and he was writing them to people who came out of the culture that they were a part of. And I think The longer sometimes that we're Christian, the more that we could forget that we used to be a part of this culture. We used to be a part of the world, like the way that we think, uh, the worldviews that we have came from our families of origin. We got indoctrinated, if you will, by the ways of the world. Paul would also say it like this in Romans. Rome was another one of those cultures that was far from God, was pantheistic, had many different gods, many different ways to find God, get to God, uh, was was very into philosophy, Stoicism, and also Hedonism, which they held pleasure at the highest level. Which meant that, and you see that happening in our culture today, where pleasure, your comfort, your convenience, that is the highest goal in life. Just as long as you're happy, <clears throat> doesn't matter what God wants you to do, as long as you're happy. And by the way, if God was a good God, He just wants you happy all the time. Yet Jesus said, "In this world, you will have what, trouble, but take heart." I have overcome the world. And so he didn't promise a trouble-free life. He didn't promise us always to feel comfort or convenience or always even to be happy. But what he promised is that he would be with us in the middle of everything that we go through in this life. Amen? But Paul would speak into the Corinthian culture that had all these different values, and he would say in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed, in other words, be changed by the renewing of your mind, then you will know the perfect, pleasing, and good will of God. And if there's one question that I get continually asked by people, it's, Pastor, how do I know God's will for my life? And I say this I say, well, first, we got to take a step back and we have to allow the Holy Spirit. To change the way we think because for most of us the way we grew up uh, the way that we went through school all the things that we experience in life and this world is trying to conform us into a pattern in other words there's a way that the world thinks that it wants you to follow and we see this we feel this every day through social media through TV through uh, movies you name it billboards radio every media outlet there there is a way of the world that is trying to conform you and i to its way of thinking and yet the antithesis of that is that for a lot of us we get saved but our ways of living don't change They continue to, we continue as Christians to look more like the world than more like Jesus. And the problem is we haven't allowed the word of God to renew and transform our minds enough so that we think differently. We see the world differently. See, when you have an encounter with Jesus, it changes you. It has to change you. You can't have an encounter with Jesus and stay the same. Those two things are incongruent. So when you have an encounter with Jesus, it changes you. Just like Paul, he had a way of thinking. He saw life. He didn't just write it. He knew it firsthand. Because on his way, he was actually, he was coming against Christianity, coming against Jesus. And Paul had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus that literally knocked him off his donkey. And and he saw a blinding light. and, And he was blinded. And what that represents is that God had to change the way he saw life. When you have an encounter with Jesus, it has to change the way you see things. And so for us as believers of Jesus Christ, is, is when we encounter Jesus, it is that encounter is meant to change us, to transform us, to give us new eyes and ears to see and hear him and to see the world differently. So Paul is talking into this culture and he's saying this first corinthians chapter 16 verse 13 and 14 be on your guard man if there's anything we need to, to do right now is we need to be on our guard watch yourself check yourself watch what you're looking at think about what you're thinking about thinking about the presuppositions that you have believed to be true that maybe you they aren't true maybe we've believe some lies about God about culture about the world about ourselves and that the way that we check ourselves is we put it up to the word of God the truth right and it's the truth that sets us free Paul says be on your guard stand firm in the faith and be courageous be strong and I preached that message to you last week and I hope it encouraged you to be strong stand strong Stand strong. Man, if there's anything that we need to do now, it's, we need to stand strong. Stand on the word of God. Stand on our faith. Be courageous. Be strong in the middle of this. But it's not enough just to stand strong and stand in the faith. Verse 14, this is what we're going to hone, hone in on today. Paul says this, do everything in love. Do everything in love. And I don't know about you, but even just reading that, speaking it out there's just like a ton of conviction because when I think about everything that I do in my life I don't know that I do everything in love I I don't even trust myself sometimes my motives aren't pure my motivations the way I think in fact um, how many of you know that Walmart is now just it's not just Walmart it is the Walmart how many of you know that Yeah, because when you walk into Walmart, they say, welcome to the Walmart. How many of you experienced that? Okay, five of you. Five of you. Well, when you walk into Walmart, the greeters say, welcome to the Walmart. That's how you get greeted when you come into Walmart. So now it's not just Walmart anymore. It is the Walmart. It is the Walmart. So the other day I was going to the Walmart and I was on a mission, right? And I walk in and welcome to the Walmart. Thank you, buddy. And I'm on a mission to go get my, my I, I won't tell you what it is, but I had one thing, one thing I had to get. My wife makes fun of me because she says, you can't go in to a store and get one thing. You just can't do it. And she's kind of right because you know I go in for that one thing and I'm like, oh, but there's pumpkin spice muffins over here. And, uh, and so I get distracted, you know? I mean, who wouldn't get distracted by pumpkin spice muffins? But I went to Walmart, and I was, I was already running late for something. And so I went, and I was on a mission, yo. I went into Walmart. I was there to get my one thing and get out. And so I went in, and I was proud of myself because I went right to that one thing, got my one thing, went right to the self-checkout, checked myself out, threw it in the bag, threw the receipt in the bag, and I was hightailing it out there. And I'm walking out the door. I'm like, walk running, you know, the. Like when you're on a mission, like you, you ain't just walking, you walking. And I was walking and I'm walking out the door and I hear this, this lady, the Walmart employee say, oh, sir, excuse me, excuse me, I need to see your receipt. And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? Really, I got one thing, lady? And so I'm not having it, I am not happy by this. And so I go, I go running back to her, I take the receipt out and I throw it in her face And I put it back in my bag and she barely see it. She got all flustered. She says, oh, well, you didn't have to do it like that. And I didn't even, I just turned around and walked out that door. I got in my car, I'm driving. And I'm like, you're a pastor. (laughs) And you just treated that lady like that. You know, you got the little angel, you know, over here saying, what are you doing, Lance? And I started to feel so guilty and so bad And then I read the scripture that Paul says, do everything in love. And I'm like, oh, man, I can barely love my kids, you know, and my wife. And Paul, you're telling me I need to do everything in love. Is that even possible? Like, how is that even possible? Yet Paul says, do everything, everything in love. And I don't know about you, but that challenges me. Because I don't know if I can love like that. I don't know if I could love that well. And, and when I was thinking about this, probably the greatest story that stuck out to me was a parable that Jesus told. Because here, here, here's what I want us to get this morning. When Paul says, do everything in love. Do, do everything in love. See, what we have to understand And I think this is part of the problem because I look at our culture and I look at why, why are we not, why are we who have, we are blood bought believers of Jesus Christ. We have the very spirit of the living God inside of us. We have the hope, man, hope that goes beyond this life. We should be the happiest people on the planet. We should, yeah, I ain't saying that we don't have problems i do not saying we have bills. I don't, I'm not saying that, you know, we don't struggle in our marriages and in our finances and, and, and with our kids and we don't struggle just in the day-to-day following Jesus, loving people well. But the reality is, is we have the spirit of the living God, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave alive inside of us. We have the very one that said, you're in this world, you will have trouble, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world and I've overcome the world. And yet, I don't love well but Paul is saying love does something I firmly believe that that the world is looking for a demonstration of the love of God it's tired of hearing God loves you I don't stop saying it, it's a good thing but it's a lot easier to say it than it is to show it and Paul is saying love does something like if you love somebody you don't just tell them Right? Like, what if, you're, what if your husband or your spouse, if you're married, just told you, oh, hey, I love you, but they never did anything to show you love. They never did anything sacrificial. They never, they never showed you love. They never did anything to show you love. It was all lip service. And I wonder if the church started getting a revelation of how powerful the love of God actually is, that love actually compels you to do something. That when you start to get a revelation, when you start to have an encounter with Jesus and the love of God, that that love, it, you can't contain it. It's not something you could bottle up. It's not something that you could just give lift service to. It's something that you actually have to let it flow through you. And I think too many of us, we've allowed ourselves to, to be a, a reservoir instead of a river. And we receive the love of God, we worship God, we talk about the love of God a lot, but we leave this place and we keep the love of God to ourselves. And I'm here to tell you today that we cannot allow the Holy Spirit and the love of God to remain in us, that we are supposed to be a pass-through blessing, that we are supposed to receive the love of God. And as we receive the love of God, we're full of the love of God and we have to do something with it. Probably one of the greatest stories of this is found in Luke chapter 10. I want to read it to you. It is it is known as the parable of the good Samaritan. I want to read it to you. Are you ready? Yes. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. This was a lawyer. He was he was like he was a doctor in theology, and he wants to test Jesus. And he says, "This teacher." What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, What is written in the law? How do you read it? (laughs) I love Jesus. you got to love Jesus. He always responds to a question with a question, right? Because he always wants to see what's behind the question. What's the motivation behind your question of your heart? And I believe this man was actually genuine. And most scholars believe this this wasn't like a lot of times where they would ask him a question trying to trap him. This was a genuine like, Hey, I want to know. And so Jesus says, how do you read it? Because he's an expert in the law. And he answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replied, you have answered correctly. Do this, do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who exactly is considered my neighbor? Like, let's talk the fine print here. Let's talk about where you need to break out the magnifying glass and go to the bottom of the page. You know, like when you get your cell phone contract and you get your free phone and you need to go to the bottom of the page to make sure you understand the dirty details, right? This guy is saying, hey, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but come on, who, who exactly qualifies as my neighbor, Jesus? And because you have to understand something about where his question is coming from. In, in Jewish culture, they were taught two things they were taught to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. But they were taught to love their neighbor as in other Jewish people. They were taught everybody outside of the Jewish faith, faith is your enemy. And so even the, the Samaritan that we're going to read about in here, he was a sworn enemy. They were considered half-breed in Jewish culture. Culture. So when, they, when, a, when a Samaritan would come down a the road, they would go to the other side because they wouldn't eat lunch with you. Uh, if you, you went out to Mackenzie River after and there was a Samaritan there, you, you'd be like, peace out. I'm going somewhere else. This is how hated they were. So this is the scenario that Jesus is speaking into. And he says uh, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And again, I love Jesus. He doesn't give him an answer. He tells him a story, right? Which Jesus often did. He would speak in parables so that you would have to lean in and ask God to help you understand it because you'd only get it spiritually. And he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him Half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32. So too, a Levite, a Levite was one of the twelve tribes of of Judah, one of the twelve tribes uh, of Jew of the Hebrews, and they were the Levitical, they were the priests. So these would be Christian leaders in our day, or elders, right? So, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper. This would cover about two to three weeks worth of care at the inn. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word that convicts us, that compels us, and that changes us. Father, I pray today, Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you touch every heart? Would you open every heart? Would you open every mind? Would you unstop ears? Would you take our distraction and help us to fix our eyes on you right now in this moment, to be present with you in your presence? Your presence changes everything. I pray for God encounters with you today. I pray, Father God, that you would use me as a vessel, as an instrument of your word. I give you this time. This is your church. It's your service. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to have your way. We are not bound by time or programs or process. We're bound by your presence. So we give ourselves to you now and ask that you would move powerfully. Help us not to stay the same, but help us to leave changed. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 See, this man, this expert of the law, he was really trying to find a loophole in the law. Like oftentimes we do with Jesus, right? It's like, God, I know your word says this, but, you know, this is kind of a gray area, and maybe, maybe I could get away with doing this, or living like this, or making this decision. Um, but This man was looking for a loophole. He was trying to figure out, come on, I want to serve God. I want to love God, but I don't want to really love some people that I don't like, (laughs) right? That's really what he was asking for, because why else would he ask Jesus, who exactly is my neighbor? And I'm sure he knew his brothers and sisters that were Jewish, that looked like him, talked like him, thought like him, voted like him. He knew, hey, I can love these people pretty well just like us in the church man in fact jesus would say it's easy to love people who love you the real challenge and the real way that they're going to know that you are followers of me is how well you love people it isn't how much bible you know it isn't how much theology you know it isn't how well you can defend your faith on facebook and social media it isn't how well you can debate somebody it's actually how well you love each other. This is how you will, they will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so here's what we have to understand that Jesus was trying to get across to this, this man who I believe genuinely wanted to love God, but he was trying to find a way out of loving certain people. You know the ones that come to Thanksgiving dinner that you kind of like, who, honey, who invited them? Or creepy Uncle Joe. Or, you know, you got, you got people that come to dinner and, and they're Democrats, you know? <laughs> or Republicans. Or from California. We love you Californians. I do. I really do. But listen, this is what you have to understand. This is what Jesus was trying to get across. That the first commandment, you cannot fulfill the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your everything. Without the second, by loving your neighbor as yourself. So you have to understand that this loving God without loving people that he loves is incongruent with loving God. Like it doesn't work. Like, we can't do what we just did, worshiping God, telling him how holy he is, telling him how worthy he is, telling him how much we love him, telling him how much we are grateful without leaving this place and going and loving not just people who think like us, talk like us, look like us, but loving people who are different than us. Think differently. Think about this for minute. You ever think about this? We didn't always think like this. We didn't always look like this. We didn't always talk like this. Man, before I knew Jesus, my thinking was all jacked up. I didn't, know, I didn't know about anything in the world. Life didn't make sense to me. The world didn't make sense to me. Because really, without Jesus, we might as well do what Solomon said. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Aren't you glad you came to Hope Church today? To get a little hope. But the reality is, is none of us We all lived in darkness before, yet we judge people outside the church like we're judging people inside the church. Man, I pray that we're just, you know what? I believe that in this story, a lot like St. Augustine, I believe that the the Good Samaritan represents Jesus. And I believe that the inn that he sends the, the man to to get healed up and to get taken care of, it represents the church. I believe, man, that that God is trying to show us that he's called us, he's called us who are in the church to be a a place of hope and healing. It should be a place where people that come in, they're broken. I don't care what they look like. Man, this guy, he was beat up. He was robbed. He was jacked up. He was bloody. And and the priest and the Levite didn't even stop to help him. And yet this Samaritan, who was an enemy, saw him and took pity on him. And Jesus is telling us this story because he wants us to understand something that you absolutely have to get. You can stand for the truth. You can know your apologetics. You can be a great debater. You can be firm in your faith. But there's a, there's a world of people outside here who have been robbed by the enemy that came to steal, kill, and destroy their relationship with God to keep them in darkness, to keep them broken, beating them up with sin, leaving them depressed and anxious and confused about who they are and who God is. And he called us, his church, to be a place of hope and healing and to understand that you cannot love God without loving people. You can't. It's impossible. We cannot call ourselves Christians. We cannot say we love God without loving people. Because when you love people that are broken and hurting, you're actually loving God. Because God loves those people just as much as he loves you and just as much as he loves me. John got a revelation of this. I believe more than anybody, the Apostle John had a revelation of the love of God like no other. The Apostle John was the one at the Last Supper that the Bible says that he leaned back onto the chest of Jesus. See, John knew how to lean into the love of Jesus. He understood how much Jesus loved him. He he would call himself the one that Jesus loved. He would call you and I the beloved, the ones that God loved. He had this revelation of the love of God. And see, this is where it begins. You and I, we have to have a revelation of the love of God until we have an encounter an experience and have a revelation of how God loves you. We will never be able to have enough love to love other people well. And John says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. He said, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. That's strong. He's saying you can't, you can't say you love God and not love a brother or sister. You're lying because the two don't go together. You can't love God and, and not love people. He said, for whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they don't can't see in verse 21 he says and he has given us this command anyone who loves god must also love their brother and sister you must if you want to love me this is the way you love me you love people so how do we do this how do we do everything in love i've got four things that i believe and the first one is this we serve them you love people by serving them that's doing something. James would say, what good is it if a brother and sister, if you say you have faith, and yet a brother and sister has need of a coat, and you say, oh, bless you, I'll pray for you, hope you find a coat, good luck with that, but bless you, I love God, hope you find a coat, he's like, no, 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 you're missing it, your faith your belief in God, your trust in Him that he's gonna, He provides for you is what gives you the fuel to help be the provision for other people. Faith does something. Love does something. Love doesn't just stand by and watch people that are hurting and broken and go to the other side of the road like the priest and the Levite. Man, and this is part of the problem. We, we want to serve people, but if you're going to serve people, you got to see people. And we're so busy, and let me tell you something, during the holiday season, we can get so caught up in the Christmas and the Christmas spirit, and I could get my jingle jangle groove on. Meanwhile, just like Peter and John, when they were on their way to church in in Acts chapter three to to go pray, they were stepping over people that were hurting and broken and needing of money. And I love that it was Peter and John, you know? This is why uh, I believe that Jesus sent them out in twos. Because John had the revelation in the heart of God. And so Peter's like, I'm on a mission. I'm getting to the church, right? This is why, fellas, we need our wives sometimes to help us out a little bit. Because we could be on a mission. But I believe it was John. The Bible doesn't say it. This is just my theory. I believe it was John that says, hey, Peter, wait, wait, wait a minute. What about this guy? We say we love God. We're going to pray. Meanwhile, there's a hurting guy right here. And so Peter goes to him and he says... Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk in the man said he got up for the first time and he started to leap and dance and praise God and made such a commotion that a crowd started building up and they started recognizing this is the guy who was broken, who was crippled, that couldn't walk. Just like when you serve people and they have an encounter with Jesus and they come to know him other people get up and notice. Wasn't this the guy whose, whose marriage was a mess? Wasn't this a guy who couldn't hold down a job? Wasn't this a guy who was addicted and broken? Wasn't this the guy who should have been in jail but now he's not now he's serving Jesus come on is there anybody here this morning who's grateful for the mercy of God on your life that even though you may not be where you want to be you not you're not where you should be and I'm so grateful for Jesus I was telling my kids on Thanksgiving we do a family tradition of going around the table like probably many of you do and we go around the table and somebody tells something that they're grateful for and and I was telling my kids, I said, listen, I know I'm a pastor and you've heard this story before, but I, I, I can't help it. What I'm most grateful for is I'm most grateful for Jesus. Because you didn't know me back then as your dad that you know me now. But if you could have seen me, I would have been that 19-year-old kid that you guys would have thought, man, how's that guy even going to graduate? He should, be, he should be locked up somewhere, strung out on drugs, addicted, on on uh, Prozac, had to take sleeping pills to go to sleep at night because I had so much anxiety fear about my future, had no idea what I was going to do with my life, thought about suicide. That was me until Jesus came into my life, until I walked into a church just like this, like some of you just walked into this morning, and the very presence of God was in that church, and, and somebody told me the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and I heard the good news, and I walked to that front, I surrendered my life, and I had a radical conversion. I had a conversion, not a, yeah, I think I want Jesus, you know, give me a little Jesus juice to get me by for the next week. No, I, I, I came up to the front. I was embarrassed. I swallowed my pride and walked up to the front and, and in doing so, surrendered my life to Jesus. And I've never been the same since. That's the kind of encounter I'm talking about. That's the kind of encounter I pray for you when I pray for our services, that the Holy Spirit would break out in such a powerful way that you would have an encounter with the living God that you wouldn't be the same, that you couldn't leave the same, that you're so compelled that you feel so much of the presence of God in your life that you can't just walk out of here and go to Chick-fil-A. or oh, they didn't open up on Sunday. So you got to go to Burger King. I don't know where you want to go. But you can't just go on with your life because you're changed. You're different. Something's shifted. I see the world differently. I think differently. That's what Paul's talking about. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and, and transformed in our hearts. But we need to serve people. There's something about seeing people. People talk about, one, I, f- I don't feel seen. I don't know that God sees me. Well, can I give you a newsflash? When Jesus left the earth, he commissioned you and me to be his hands and his feet. In fact, he said, I am leaving the earth, but when I leave, I'm going to give you this gift called the Holy Spirit. It's my very presence. All the things that I've done, I would have not been able to do without the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. There's no healings, there's no casting out demons. There's no loving people. There's no preaching, anointing messages without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? That same presence that is in me, I'm going to deposit in you. And now I'm calling you to go do something with that presence. Don't just sit in church and yes and amen. Don't just come and worship God. Do something with the power and the presence of God that I put in your life. Go serve people. Go show them love. It just blows my mind that Jesus, think about this. That Jesus, on the night that he would be betrayed by one of his closest guys that he loved, that he poured his life into, on the night that he would be betrayed, think about all the things that Jesus could be doing. He could be holding the greatest tent revival ever on the face of the earth. Thousands of people putting their faith in him. Healing revivals breaking out, right? Demons getting cast out of people. And yet he didn't. What did he do? He gathered a few of his closest friends and he said I long to share this Passover meal with you and yet before the meal Jesus, Jesus the one that would go to the cross for those very people, the one that knew one of them would betray him that very night the Bible says took up a towel and took on the form of what? A servant and he served them by washing their dirty stinking feet and he said i want you to remember this because this is the way that you show people love you get down on your hands and knees of humanity and you wash off the dirt you show them the love of god by serving them paul would say it like this in second corinthians chapter 9 verse 13 because of the service Not because of Jesus loves you Come to my church No, it says Because of your service Do you know what the word service can inter- Interchange with the word ministry A lot of us don't think of ourselves As ministers because it's a big Theological word You want me to tell you what the Greek Is of that, what it means It means to serve Someone in need ministry simply means help somebody in need ministry says see people that are hurting and broken but this is the problem we're so tunnel visioned man i got my bible study to go to i got my church to go to i got i got my christmas list to shop for we're so busy we're so busy we don't have time to serve anybody we don't even have time to recognize the people that God has divinely placed on our path. Do, do you ever think about that? that? That these guys had an opportunity. Do you know that there's two words for time in the Bible? One is chron, chronos, which it, it simply means chronological time. It means seconds. It's how we, we tell keep time. Seconds, minutes, hours, days, that kind of thing. The other word is the word kairos. Kairos means opportune time. It means that there is a set time, a window of opportunity, if you will. I believe that these two men that passed by on the other side of the road, they had a kairos opportunity to minister to that man, and they missed it. How many times do we miss it? Because we're so tunnel vision we're so focused on other things that we miss out on those opportunities to get down on our knees and to serve people that are hurting and broken because of your service Paul says by which you have proved yourselves that word proved is interesting in the original language it means a proving as a test a proving as a test actually of your character Every time there's an opportunity for us to serve somebody else, it tests the character of Jesus in us. It's like, you want to prove your faith? This is where the rubber meets the road, baby. You see a need? Somebody hurting? Somebody broken? Man, this is just, this is really just basic. We get so caught up in the whole Christian thing and what, all the stuff that we need to do to follow Jesus and just say, hey, just see somebody who's hurting and love them the way that I've loved you. You want to love me? You want to worship me? That's how you do it. That's how you do it right there. Paul would say, because of your service, you have proved yourselves. Listen to this. You got to get this. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. We could say we're Christians all day long. We could put the bumper sticker on the car. We give them an invite to Christmas. But you know what proves it? Is the accompaniment of your obedience. That accompanies your profession. It's like me saying I'm a Christian and professing I'm a Christian. People hear it all the time. They're sick of hearing it. They don't want to know you're a Christian. You know how they will know? By your love. And how will they know that? By you serving them in obedience. Man, do you think this guy, think about it for a minute, this Samaritan, don't you think for a minute he had somewhere to go? He wasn't just wandering around, you know, like a casual Sunday stroll. He had some place to be. He had some place to meet up. He had to go. He had things that he had to get done. He was just as busy as these other guys, most likely. But what did he do? He stopped and saw him. I'll never forget when Pastor David and I, uh, one of the years we did our Evergreen Junior High uh, Christmas initiative, and we were going to bless some families, and we went with Principal Kim Anderson, the principal of Evergreen Junior High. We actually physically went, Pastor David and I, and and some of my kids in tow, we went with Principal Kim to their houses. And I'll never forget that experience, because it's one thing to throw money in a bucket, it's another thing to actually show up and to see people. And we showed up, and I'll never forget showing up, and it was a trailer, old, beat-up trailer, that they actually had to put plywood on the top to keep the water from leaking in because there was a big hole on the top of the, this broken-down trailer. And, and I don't know how many feet it was, but there was like a family with three kids living in there. And I remember walking through the door and having to walk over stuff and walking into the door in this old carpet, and the, the whiff of cat urine just hit me. And just thinking, man, how inside. I'm like, oh man, they're living here in this. And they were so grateful that we came to their house and just showed up. I also remember going to another house and there was a lady who just lost th- this family. They just lost their daughter. Somebody had, had killed her. It was like a, a, a murder. It was crazy. And they were hurting and broken. And I remember looking at them and then them looking at us back like, why are you here? Like why? Why did you come to give us some gifts? Like we don't know you. And I remember those simple acts, but but it probably impacted me more than impacted them, because I left feeling like, oh my gosh, this is in our backyard. This isn't in the slums of India, or somewhere else. This is this is here. This is home. And there are people that are right here in our backyard that are hurting. They're broken. And they're looking for hope. And the way that we can show them the love of God is by serving them. This leads me to the second thing that we could do is we can show them Jesus. We can serve them. And one of the ways that we serve them is showing them Jesus. And we have to get this, man. What I do is more important than what I say. I could talk about Jesus all day long, but the next time I'm in Walmart, I'm going to find that lady and I'm going to say, I'm here at the Walmart, and I just want to say, I am so sorry for being a jerk to you the last time I was here. And is there anything that I can do for you or pray for you? And, and showing Jesus, it doesn't mean we're always going to get it right. It doesn't mean we're always going to be like, you know, we want to be. I think inside, most of us, we want to we wanna give life. We want to give joy. We want to give hope. But the reality is, is Jesus commissioned us. In fact, Colossians 3.17 would say it like this. Whatever you do or say, notice he says do first. Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. All this is from God. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 19. All this is from God who reconciled himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation did you hear that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation so what paul is saying is hey god reconciled you to himself through jesus christ now jesus says i want you to take on this ministry of reconciliation and be that for other people in other words jesus said i only do what i see the father doing now he says i want you to do what you see me doing I want you to be my hands and feet. I want you to show people Jesus. So here, here's what we're going to do, church, during the Christmas season. We're just going to show people Jesus. We're going to show people what Jesus looks like. The world is looking for Jesus, and how are they going to find him? Through you, and 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 through you because they're going to see Jesus on you. You know, when, 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 um, when Peter and John the man got healed and people got saved and it caused such a, a ruckus that the, the leaders didn't like it. They thought, man, this is just like when Jesus was here. We thought we killed this dude. What's up? They arrest Peter and John. They throw them in prison and they bring them out to, to sentence them. And this is what they say in Acts chapter four, verse 13. It says they were astonished. They were amazed and perplexed that these were average, ordinary, unschooled, untrained men, and here's the best part, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. There's something about being with Jesus that gets in you, that gets on you, that now you can show people Jesus, but you got to get Jesus in you before you can show people Jesus. We've been called to have that Ministry of Reconciliation Church, and I'm telling you, man, when we Show people Jesus. I had, um, y'all got a few more minutes? It's okay. I had this guy one time come to me who was trying to, he was trying to break his meth addiction and I owned a car lot and he came to me because he was a mechanic, but he had gotten fired because uh, his meth addiction, you know, it just, it messed him up. And he came to me, say, hey, I'm looking for work. Do Do you have anything that I could do? And I said, well, what do you do? And he said, well, I, I work on cars and stuff. And man, I looked at him and his teeth were all rotted, you know, and everything. And man, he was like 95 pounds dripping wet. And I was like, inside, I'm thinking, man, I don't know. I, I want to help this guy out, but I just don't know. This is dangerous. And something in my spirit said, "Just, just do it. So I I said, okay. I said, how about you come, you know, on Tuesday and show up at nine and I'll give you some work to do. He shows up. I start giving him some work. I start paying him and, and he starts making money. And then he tells me one day that he has a son, um, out of wedlock and he's in a home and he wants to get him back. And so he keeps working for me. He needed to work, you know, consistently over time. And he got his son back and they were living like in a hotel room. And, um, and I just, I just kind of loved on this guy and gave him a good job and he was doing really well. He was staying clean and sober. And then until I went away on a mission trip and while I was away, I get a phone call from the police and they say, hey, uh, we caught this guy. He was selling some of your equipment at a pawn shop and what do you, you want to do with him? I said, can you put him on the phone? And I put him on the phone. I said, hey, I'll say Mike, that's not his real name. I said, Mike why? Why would you do this, man? Like, you had a good thing going. Why would you? And he starts sobbing. He's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know what to do. I got back on the meth, and I had a debt to pay, and and, I, and and then I said, put the put the policeman back on the phone, and put the police, he says, so you want to press charges? I said, no, just let him go. So he let him go. I get home from the trip. I call him up. I said, hey, why don't you come meet me in my office? And he comes to my office, and I sat across from him and I looked him in the eye. I said, Man, how could you do this? But I, I try to help you and you do this to me. And he just starts crying, and I just started sharing Jesus with him. And and he received Jesus right there in my office. Gave his life to Jesus. Started doing good. I don't know where Mike is today. But I remember on Thanksgiving, him being in this little, I don't know, little hotel room with his son. And remember, Thanksgiving, we're having fun with our family. We're around the table. We're thankful for our blessings. And I remember Mike, probably alone with this kid in the hotel room on Thanksgiving by himself, warming up a frozen dinner or something. I don't know. But I went to my wife, and I said, hey, can you fix a plate? Two plates. She fixed a couple of plates. I got in my car, and I drove, and I knocked on that door, and he opened it up, and I gave him. You should have seen the look on his face. You would have thought, like, it was was a million dollars. And he just received that. He thanked me so much. I'll tell you, it's one thing to tell people. It's one thing to tell them about Jesus. But it's another thing to show them Jesus and the heart and the love of Jesus Christ. What if this Christmas, man, you just did that for one person? Could you imagine? Imagine this. If every single person in this room showed one person Jesus We'd have to add another service to contain all the people that are coming to know Jesus, getting saved, falling in love with Him, changing their lives, helping them be a better father, husband. Third thing is, is right in line with the story I just told you. Is you got to share Jesus with them. See, we could we could show them Jesus, we could serve them, but that opens up people's hearts. The kindness it says that it's the it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness and love of God that opens up people's hearts to actually receive Jesus. It isn't you telling them, turn and burn. Or, You're wrong. It's the kindness and love of God that when we serve people, when we show them Jesus, now it opens up a kairos moment. And this is what I want you to do. This is actually my, my fourth thing. Worship team, you can come up. We'll wrap this puppy up. The fourth thing I want you to do is not to share with Jesus, but pray for them. Prayer is power. Prayer, listen, this is what prayer does. Listen, don't check out. We're almost done. I'm condensing this for you so we get done quicker. Prayer prepares your heart and it prepares their heart for you to recognize when that moment is. There's a right time. God says in just the right time, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. There's a, there's a kairos moment time. There's a kairos, there, there are windows of opportunity that God will give you, and yet we'll miss it if we're not prepared for it. Prayer is what prepares your spirit to be in tune with the Holy Spirit to recognize when God is creating an opportunity for you to actually share Jesus with somebody. There are times to serve them, There's times to show them. But then there are times to say, hey, you wanna know how you're saved? You wanna know how to have the love that that I've shown you? You wanna know someone who loves you way better than I ever can, his name is Jesus. And let me tell you what he did in my life. That's why the Bible says in Revelation that we overcome by two things. We overcome by the blood of the lamb. Thank God for Jesus. And we overcome by the power of the word of our testimony. Let me tell you something. You've got a story to tell. You've got a testimony. Some of you been through some things and God has brought you through the fire, so to speak. And now God is asking you, are you willing to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, and are you willing to share me with people who need to hear it? Peter would say it like this. He would say, be prepared. Put that up, 1 Peter 3.15, I believe it is. Be prepared, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for to anyone who ask you to give a reason for the hope that you have but do this I love he throw this this in there but do this with gentleness and respect Are you prepared? Here's my question for you. Are you prepared? Do you have your testimony down so you can say it in an elevator to somebody? What was your life like before Jesus? How did you get saved? What was your life after Jesus? What's the one thing that you would tell somebody? Those four things, man, think about that. Get your story down because let me tell you, somebody needs to hear your story. You know why? God will put you strategically next to people who need to hear your story. Not my story, your story. You're called to tell them. You're called to share Jesus with somebody, man. So did God heal your marriage? God will put you next to the cubicle to the guy who's going through a divorce or he's thinking about divorce so that you'll share how Jesus healed your marriage. Have you come through addiction? Get out of prison? Struggle with anxiety, fear? God heal you, touch you. He'll put you around people that need to hear your story. And we could do all of this, but you know what? John would also say this in 1 John four nineteen. The only reason that we even can do any of this is because Christ first loved us. We love because he first loved us. See, we can't do any of this without Jesus first loving us. And this is the problem for a lot of us. We haven't encountered, or as Paul would say, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened and you would experience the love of God. It's not enough to know Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. You've got to experience it. You've got to have an encounter with the very love of God because that love of God changes you. It it actually, Paul would say, the love of God compels me. It's the compulsion, it's it's the motivation behind everything I do, it is the empowerment. For me to love other people, I can't even begin a conversation about serving people, showing them Jesus and sharing Jesus with them without first, and this is the coolest part about the whole parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus says, go and do likewise. And I can imagine just like I would be that man walking away thinking, go and do likewise. Like, it's that easy. Like, how do I do that? How do I love people that I don't like? How do I love people that are strangers that I don't even know? How do I love the lady at Walmart? The Walmart. (laughs) Here's the answer, I believe. It's a couple of verses tucked in after on the bottom of Luke 10 when it's the story of Jesus going to the house of Mary and Martha. And it says that Martha was so busy and distracted with all the things that she had to do. But Mary sat at the feet of Jesus listening to everything that he had to say all his words and Jesus says something profound he doesn't rebuke Martha for wanting to do things to serve other people but he says Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken away from her Jesus, what are you saying? He's saying you can't do that without first doing this. When you sit at my feet and you receive my love, now, now and only now are you ready to go out and love people the way that I've loved you. So here's, here's, here's what I want us to do as we close. I believe there's some of you here that you felt distant from God. Maybe you've even said to yourself, God, where are you? Maybe you're online and you're like, man, I don't even know where God is in my situation. And you've never experienced the love of God. You, you've heard people tell you God loves you, God loves you. You read about it in scripture, but you've never, you've never gotten it here. I want to pray for some of you to have an encounter with the love of God because I believe that we have to first encounter the love of God in order to even love people. And for some of you, that may mean that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't believe in him. I, I just came to church with a friend. I came came with my spouse, my girlfriend. I'm watching online. I'm, watch, I'm in Eureka, but I just came because somebody said, hey, this is a pretty good place and I'm hurting inside and nobody knows it. You see, that's the problem. The Bible says that man looks at the outside And we come to church, we see people out in the community, and we're all smiles, and we're all happy, and we dress nice. We drive nice cars, and we go into nice houses. But God says, I look at the heart. And unless we have eyes to see people that are hurting and broken, and not just on the outside, because right even among us, some of you are hurting. You're broken. Can I tell you a secret? Jesus is the Good Samaritan. He's the one that came and he saw us half dead, robbed, beaten up by sin, and left for half dead. And he came with his blood and he poured it on our wounds. The wine was actually used as an antiseptic to cleanse it, it represents his blood. The oil was used to soothe the wound. I wonder how many of you here today, you're you're broken, you're hurting. I want you to close your eyes. I feel God on this in a powerful way. I know in my spirit that there's some of you here that are hurting right now. God wants to touch you and heal you, cleanse you, forgive you, open up the way for him to pour out his love on you. And if that's you, just eyes are closed, just slip up your hand. Slip up your hand. God bless you. 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 Right now, Holy Spirit, we just give you permission. Come on, just say that even in your own heart. Just say, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to come. Cleanse me. Cleanse me of all my sin and my own righteousness. I put my faith and trust and hope in you, Jesus. You're my only hope. I pray that you would come in and love me. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would those who raise their hand encounter your love in a fresh and new way. I just want to speak into something I believe the Holy Spirit is putting in my heart. Some of you, you're believing the lie that God is mad at you. He's disappointed in you. He's rejected you. And I'm here to declare over you that that is a lie from the pit of hell. And we take that lie right now and we take that thought captive and we bring it into the obedience of Christ because here's the truth. God loves you with no conditions, no strings attached. He knows everything you've done. He knows. He knows all of it. While we were still sinners. Christ. Gave his life for you because he loves you that much. Now, Holy Spirit, just come. Wash over your people with your love. Wash over them with your love, God. And there's so much peace in his presence. Do what you want to do.